Representative Tony Dale from Williamson County, welcome to this week's TribCast. I listen to the TribCast every week, and I'm only disappointed when it ends. Enjoy this week's session. Thank you. This is reporter Reeve Hamilton here with the TribCast for the final week of February. Joining me is executive editor Ross Ramsey. Howdy. Editor Emily Ramshaw. Hello there. And Jim Henson of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin doing his best Evan Smith impression. Look, the bottom line is this. <laughs> that was pretty good. This voice is still too low. I yeah, know. way too low. Can well, you do it again with a higher voice? You need to be voice? more of a tenor. <laughs> more of a tenor. Helium, please. I don't please. know if I got it in me. Yeah. Well, let's not push it. Let's move on. We're in, we're in the midst of breaking news as we record this on Wednesday afternoon. Emily, do you want to catch us up on the latest on gay marriage in Texas? Sure. Uh, Sort of as we speak, a federal judge in San Antonio, Orlando Garcia, ruled that the state's ban on gay marriage is unconstitutional. Uh, This is not likely to have an immediate effect. He basically said, you know, that this does not at this point uh, allow people in Texas who are gay to start getting married because there's another outstanding court case. Uh, But this is obviously, you know, sort of a big first step that a lot of advocates for gay marriage in Texas. Texas say is a huge sign. Um, I would argue it's a pretty long road until it's a big sign. This uh, judge in particular, he's the brother-in-law of Leticia Vandepute, the lieutenant governor candidate. He's uh, known for Democrat. being Democrat, known for being uh, pretty left on the spectrum. I think it's not one of the three judges yeah. in redistricting cases in Texas. Exactly. Uh, so you know, Attorney General Greg Abbott, also running for governor, um, came out you know pretty quickly and said, "Look, we're going to be appealing this." A lot of folks expect this case could go all the way to the the Texas Supreme Court and beyond. Were you surprised that the Attorney General's statement was not more strongly worded? He opened with, "You know, there are a lot of good people." of goodwill on both sides. That's not a verbatim quote, but that was basically the sentiment. It's not a very strong politically charged statement, although he did come out and say we are definitely appealing this. But, you know, his statement was not as strong as Rick Perry's, who came out not long after and basically said, you know, the legislature, the voters have spoken here, you know, this is going to be upheld. And David Dewhurst also issued a strong statement, but of course he's uh, fighting for his life to be reelected. So you might expect that. The best statement, however, came uh, from Dan Patrick, <laughs> who's running for lieutenant governor. Do you want I me think, to read it to you? I think he mistweeted. He tweeted, marriage equals one man and one man. Enough of these activist judges. Favorite if you agree. I know the silent majority out there is with us. He quickly updated that to be marriage equals one man and one woman. But not before eight, Twitter erupted. It took about eight minutes, I think, someone tabulated before it was... There was probably some conversation along the lines of, of course I didn't say that. I didn't, (laughs) did I? (laughs) Well, Dan Patrick, also uh, running to be the guy that uh, prevents David Dewhurst from being Mm reelected. Well, the other guy that will weigh in on this at some point is Todd Staples, who's in that same race, who was the author of the law that just got declared unconstitutional. So this will Mm -hmm. play out for a week, I guess. And do, do we know how Texans feel about the issue, Jim, as our pollster? As it turns out, we have about four years of polling on this. because we've As been, it turns out. We've been polling on the question since June of 2009. I think we last asked it in June of 2013. And the interesting thing about, you know, what we're talking about Republican public opinion here is what, that— What are we talking about? Republican <laughs> public opinion. I can say that three times fast if you want. Don't. Uh, <laughs> GOP public opinion. How's that? It doesn't, um, doesn't have the same ring to it. But, you know— 
obviously the wellspring of, of opposition to gay marriage is in the Republican Party, but it's not as strong as one might think. Uh, you know, the basically the, the rejection of both of either gay marriage or civil unions has fallen from 44 percent in June of 2009 to 36 percent in June of 2013. And, it, and in that same June in that same June poll, 45 percent of Republicans said that they would be OK with civil unions, just not marriage. So I think while there's no doubt where the Bible Belt is on this, where the social conservatives are on this and they are high turnout groups in Republican primaries, um, you know, it's not as much of a slam dunk as one might think, and that may be why you're seeing a little bit more care from General Abbott, who's not involved in a, in a primary race right now. And is going to be in a general election race. Well, and he's also been, you know, careful whenever he's talking around lawsuits and talking about, you know, I mean, you know, he's the loser in this round of this lawsuit as the attorney general for the state. So he's a, he's a you know, gubernatorial candidate, but he's also the, the lawyer who got trounced here, I imagine – the next briefs from his office will probably have a stronger opinion. I do think it's interesting, though, that he said on particular, you know, subject matters like school finance, where there's a lot of litigation going on, that he is not at liberty to comment on those issues because he is, you know, the lead attorney. Isn't that the same in this case? Well, he's got a decision now. So he might have not said anything last week, but, you know. Uh, interesting. So after the school finance ruling comes out, you know, presumably in April, if Dietz writes, you know, kind of on the schedule he told the lawyers mm-hmm. about, We'll hear what Abbott thinks about school finance after Dietz rules. Right. So this case in particular, there are a lot of cases outstanding right now. And basically, you know, the strategy of plaintiffs in these in these gay marriage cases is that, you know, they know they don't have any traction with the overwhelmingly Republican legislature. And so they're taking it to the courts and they're doing this in a lot of conservative states. But, you know, the next step up from this court is is what? The Fifth, Fifth Circuit, Circuit, right. Uh, which is, you know, known for being a conservative court. Um, and, you know, after that, the Supreme Court in Texas, also a conservative court. And I think what are the chances this is, you know, going anywhere at this point in time or if this is just one court ruling? I guess we have the race, you know, various states have these laws and, and federal judges around the country have been, you know, ruling on them one way or the other. You know, so in some ways this is a race to the Supreme Court, which mm-hmm. which state's case gets up there first. Right. Well, let's talk about uh, an area in which Abbott is not being trounced and transition into it. The reason we have Jim Henson here is because he does our polling. And we've been rolling out a poll this week. And we started with sort of the state of things on the ground currently in the gubernatorial race, which is obviously months away. But where does that stand at the moment? Well, part of part of it's a week away. <laughs> Right. Yeah, a, a small part of that one. Is just a week not away. the important. Just part. not the one that matters. <laughs> at least, right. at least for them, although right. it is bearing on that race. So, yeah, the, I mean, the marquee result there is we had Abbott at forty-seven, Davis at thirty-six, undecided at at seventeen. And since that election is so far away, we didn't push the don't knows at all, and we did in other areas, which is we'll come back to, I suppose. Um, and so, I think the general sense is that race is that that's a very plausible read of where this race is. I think if you drill down a little bit more. The way that I think about it is you need to look at the favorable, unfavorables of each candidate to get a sense of, you know, where the momentum is and what kind of conclusions you draw about the campaigns. Wendy Davis seems, frankly, a little bit stagnant. That's kind of the half, the glass half empty view um, and that her approval rating hasn't moved, her disapproval rating or her, her favorability rating hasn't moved. Her unfavorability numbers have gone up about four points, which I think is probably just Republicans who have learned who she is and that she's a Democrat and not liking her. Um, General Abbott, on the other hand, I think has has had a really good fall. His, you know, Josh Blank and I wrote a piece a while back saying that essentially Abbott needed to be 
defined if the Davis people were going to were going to have a, a shot at this, and that he, there was a big chunk of public opinion that really was unformed about him. He's you know gr- you know stepped into that void. His approval number I think has gone, or his, his favorability number has gone up nine points. Right. And since, most of that came out of people who hadn't decided right, in October. Exactly. Right? Yeah. His the people that don't know who he is have de- have decreased. So they've they've they're actually in good shape. Right? How does so, this number? How did the does this divide between the two of them compare to other gubernatorial matchups at this point in time? Do we have any? Uh, at this point in the White Perry race, mm-hmm. we had Perry, we had White down by nine. So, right, so within the so margin, about so the same. Yeah, yeah. The and these are almost the these are almost the numbers you would expect if you said a Democrat and a Republican. It's sort of interesting, right? Yeah, pretty close. I mean, I think if you're a Democrat, you could say this is on the low end, maybe. I mean, I think people will tell you the default, depending on who you talk to, what part of the ballot you're on, is between 11 and 14. Right. But this poll was also conducted sort of at the tail end of what had been a pretty rough couple months for Davis, I think it's fair to say, and before the whole uh, week of Ted Nugent that we had last yes, week. Yes, I apologize. I should have said that first. <laughs> <laughs> how how much of a I am difference? I'm flagellating myself yeah. off. How much of a difference do you think Abbott? You got a lot of criticism from different corners for campaigning with Ted Nugent last week. How much of a difference do you think that moved these numbers if we pulled today? We don't know. I mean, you know, the if you watch what the Abbott campaign is telling people, you know, Jay Root had a story this morning on the. Abbott campaign in some ways doubling down on that. You know, the the Democratic line on this and the line from a lot of um, analysts and columnists, the punditocracy has been that it was a dumb thing to do, that it was a, you know, that it inflamed the Democrats in a way that Abbott didn't need to do that. Um, but the Abbott campaign, you know, Dave Carney talking to Jay Root said, you know, look, this is, you know, liberals having their conniption fits about it. But it doesn't upset our voters. It doesn't upset our things. It was not a mistake. It doesn't show badly in the numbers and, you know, completely owned it. You know, it, he called it the Austin echo chamber in a, in a way that you wouldn't if you were running away from this thing. You know, they're clearly not worried about this in the way that, you know, if they had blundered last week and thought so, they would probably have had a staff meeting and said, we'll say no more about this. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and being, they are. being an unforced error does not necessarily mean that it suddenly changes the game. I mean, it, it could be sort of a, an ill-advised move and also not have a big movement in the polls. The thing is, Ted Nugent is not an unknown quantity and has not, not been associated with Republican causes in Texas before. I think the only thing it might have changed is his favorability scores. But honestly, I mean, it, I don't I would argue that neither this nor her bio flap really did anything to move the dial at all on people who are going to vote for either of them. They're, they're both starting to build stories. And we might not remember these pieces of the stories that they're building. But, you know, the story that Abbott's trying to building build here is that, you know, Davis isn't all she appears to be. And the narrative is, you know, has has flaws in it. And the story that she's trying to build is that these guys are hostile to women. And, you know, I think that's probably some version of what we'll be talking about in September and October. Hostile to women. Dan Patrick likes one man and one man. <laughs> Keep the women out of it. Yeah. That's hostile in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't women be able to get married just like the men? Uh, of course, we are assuming that Greg Abbott and Wendy Davis will both win their primaries. Yes. 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 Uh, but we can't make that assumption for – Davis had 88 <laughs> percent and Abbott had 90 percent and this is with we – But know, that was this, before Ted Nugent. Well, and we pushed <laughs> – well, and we – yeah, and we pushed on this. So the um, 
you know, we people who said that they didn't have an opinion on this, and I think it was probably pretty low in the primary stuff anyway, but the people who said they didn't have but an we, opinion, we oh, went right, ahead and right. pushed them and said, you know, if you had to vote today, how would you vote? So Wendy, 88, and Greg, 90. But there are other people that we cannot assume that they've won their primaries. So we sort of step down the ballot a little no, bit. It's going to be runoff sure. time. We want, to, want me to go through them real quick and then we'll talk about them all, or you want to just to get the numbers out of the way? We should have talked about how we we're going to do this earlier. I know. Yeah, I rather trying. than right now. Well, it's okay. I'll just, I'll just start do the, and you just interrupt. Just do the lieutenant governor. Feel free. Okay. Okay. So the lieutenant governor race ended up. Um, How's Leticia doing in the Democratic side? <laughs> <laughs> she, she is doing okay. So overall, among likely voters, we had Dewhurst at 37, Patrick at 31, Staples at 17, Patter at 15, uh, Patterson at 15. What's the margin of error? Uh, the margin of error on that one 5. was a little – yeah, I think – yeah, that's about right, 5.83. So basically that has Patrick definitely within striking distance of Dewhurst, but probably runoff yeah. – obviously it looks like we're going to have a runoff. There. It looks like those two, Patrick and, and, and Dewhurst. The, ga- the gaps are fairly consistent. If you Boy. go – if you if you back out of the likely voter screen with a smaller margin of error, it's still and Dewhurst we know. 38, Patrick 31. I think that mm. that order is pretty and if And if this latest, you know, Jerry Patterson and his private investigator – have have made any dents in this? A lot of that happened after the poll was out of the field. So we we were you know we designed this to be out of the field by the time people started early voting, and to the extent that um, this this story that Patterson is carrying forward about you know Dan Patrick's restaurant having undocumented immigrants working for it, um, you know if that's changing anything, and I'm not saying that it is, that's not in these numbers. Boy, right. if I were David Dewhurst and I am headed to a runoff with Dan Patrick, I would just hire Jerry Patterson to go do my recon for me. <laughs> that guy's done a lot of good digging. Well, so – but getting to that, so if it is a Dewhurst-Patrick runoff, where do the Staples and Patterson voters go? Well, where, the first question is where do Staples and Patterson go? Do they come in and, and endorse one or the other? You know, the presumption I'm just – you know, from watching these guys up close, I would guess that if they did, they would throw in with Dewhurst. But that's not a certainty. And – the next question would be, do their voters follow them? And I guess the question for the political pros is, do those voters even vote in a May 27th primary the day after right. Labor uh, Day after Memorial? And we all know how David Dewhurst feels about runoffs. Well, in terms of what it looks like, if, if you break down what the Staples and the Patterson voters look like, um, taken as a group, they are they're the fave unfave for Dewhurst among them is 39-29. Fave Dewhurst for Patrick among them is twenty seven eighteen, and among the Dewhurst voters, thirty three. Uh, among those voters, thirty three percent have no opinion of Dewhurst. Forty five have no opinion of Patrick. So there's no real clear pattern there, other than they're not super engaged with these guys. Right. Do you want to stay on the right side or the left side of the dial? Um, I would say let's finish out the right side. So very quickly, there's no there's no no real heat in the Stockman Cornyn race. Among likely voters in the in the GOP Senate side, Cornyn at 62. Among likely voters, Stockman at 16, Vega at seven. Um, interestingly enough, if you if you break that down among the Tea Partiers, you know you do see a little bit of movement, but still Cornyn's doing okay. 53 among Tea Party for Cornyn, 30 for Stockman. Discuss. <laughs> Discuss. Well, I think I mean does that does that actually surprise anybody? No, I mean you know the you know if you're if you're betting at home the the over under bet on this race is whether Cornyn breaks sixty or not right you know on on Tuesday when it's over but he looks like he's safely out of his primary. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then in the attorney general race, which is you know very hotly contested, 
among likely voters, Dan uh, Branch at 42, Paxton at 38, Smitherman at 20. So that's within the margin of error. That's a yep. statistical that's tie. That's very close. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very For the close. two front runners. For the two front yes. runners. Yeah. yeah. I was a little bit surprised there wasn't more even further across. There was just a closer three-way race. Um, yeah. I mean, They're I, all pretty strong candidates. I, I think I think Branch and, and Paxton have both worked hard on TV. Smitherman has as well. But mm-hmm. Branch has spent a lot of money on TV, and he spread it around different markets. Well, and, and I think we're seeing you know, that. Branch, Branch has, has – you know, a really heavy buy. Paxton has a, you know, a fairly effective buy with the Ted Cruz ad, you know, with right. Ted Cruz, I guess, who's the most popular Republican in the state, all but endorsing him. You couldn't walk away from this ad yeah. thinking that it wasn't an endorsement. He does not count as one of the people that Ted Cruz has officially endorsed. Right. He never said the E word, but he said, yeah. you know, I really like him. He's a stand-up guy. So, but in that scenario, if it ends up being Branch and Paxton that are going to a runoff, Smitherman's voters, I would be assuming, would be Paxton-bound? Uh, you know, I haven't looked at that. I, I think that's kind of our, our general assumption, but I wouldn't be so sure. I mean, mm-hmm. in a race where everybody has run so far to the right. Right. It's hard to we're know. Not, we're not seeing the kind of differentiation. I mean, if you take that lieutenant governor's race, right. one might have thought that there would be a pattern there, and there's really not. Mm-hmm. And if you credit uh, Branch's rise, and his campaign put out a press release saying that, you know, we were in third place when we started and didn't have any name ID, and now look at us. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you credit that with their TV stuff, and it really was impossible to watch the Olympics in Texas and not see Dan Branch's face multiple times. And eyebrows. He yeah, still has. Eyebrows, yeah, exactly. He still has <laughs> a lot because he's a really good skier. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> he still has a lot more money he than Paxton be. does, and he'll still be on TV for the remainder of the well, runoff. I, I, I would imagine. say that Paxton. I think if and you, you may know more about this than I do, Ross. My impression was that the Paxton ad buy was later than the Branch ad buy. Right. And I think so. I think Paxton was really had a, a big a big buy planned after we were out of the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, right. Comptroller race, and this is the one that people are talking about and asking about a lot. And right. Ross has a very colorful people outside of this studio, right. if he'd like, um, that involves bodily functions and oh things like this. But probably, probably, probably has to, actually. Now so, he has to use. So it. I'm going so to explain anything. this a little bit. So basically, among likely voters, we got uh, Medina at 39, Hildebrand 26. Hagar, 24, Torres, 11. Now, on all of these races, and we can go back and talk about the impact possibly on the AG race if you want, but it had more impact here, we asked, we pushed on these, meaning we asked people, what's your choices? There's a bunch of people that say, I don't know, and then we pop them up another another kind of push that says, come on, you know, You have decide. to choose. Yeah, if you had to decide, what would yeah, you say? Yeah, I mean, technically, so yeah, if you had to decide today, what would you decide? So 54, 54% of people in this race originally had no opinion. Now, Medina was still in first place before that, and the, sequen- and the order was the same. But you did have a lot of people that had no opinion. And so the push probably did get people to default to name recognition, which is a, a big part of this. So She's been running for a long time. You know, well, she's and, the or, only one who's run statewide, and yeah. she ran in a high ballot race for right. governor in 2010. Right. And, it could be, and it could be perceived as a Hispanic last name which might also have some kind of, you know, valence here. Does being a woman, an, an obviously female name, help her or hurt her? I thought in Republican primaries it was not a coup to be to have a Hispanic. Yeah, I think it's it's arguable. It's, yeah. it's arguable. It's evolving. I mean, I think it's a wash. People frankly. who lose uh, say that that's the reason they lost often. Yeah. I think this is primarily. And if, you, if, they won, if they <laughs> yeah. won, it's better <laughs> if they're a good campaign. Right. I mean, this is primarily about two things. It's about her name recognition. It is about her, her, her inroads with the Tea Party. If you break it up among Tea Party Republicans, Medina had 41%, uh, Hagar 27, Hildebrand 25 
So, you know, she performs well with the Tea Party. They show up, they vote, they're informed. And at this point, Tea Party voters are inclined to have made up their minds. I mean, they're attentive information, you know, gathering voters. So, um, you know, do I think, you know, Deborah Medina is going to wind up with 39%? I think that seems to me to be a little bit above what I would guess her ceiling is. But, you know, the thing that's helping her here is, you know, she's got a floor and she's got a ceiling. Well, and at this point, all you got to do is outrun one of them. Yeah. Right. Or two of them, I guess, because mm-hmm. in a four-person race, they're just trying to get into a runoff at this point. Right. right. Just like those uh, Olympic snowboarders who do those races. Well, yeah, cool. snowcross. I mean, like the way we, are, they... we ought to run the lieutenant governor's races as snowcross. Exactly. But, but speaking of how you choose someone to at least poll for, if not necessarily ultimately vote for uh, – in a list of names you don't know, how do you account for Keisha Rogers leading the field in the Democratic primary for U.S. Senate? It was 74 you the undecided. Of right? transitions. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was 74 undecided, right? Yeah, in the first round? That, that started even higher, 74 undecided. Huge. So Keisha Rogers is this woman who's won multiple Democratic primaries. She's won a couple of Democratic primaries. She's a, um, a LaRouchian. Right. Who yeah. has called for uh, the impeachment of President Obama. And is the only candidate on the Democratic ballot that the chairman of the Texas Democratic Party is now campaigning against. He put out a press release. Right. Gilberto Hinojosa put out a press release earlier too. today. What right. did she run for last? Congress. 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 And right. they did it again. They said, please don't vote for this one. And she, won, she, she continues to win without any Democratic support, at least the, the, win the primary. No, she wins be... with Democratic support. It's just the voters <laughs> instead of the management. Yeah. Yeah. Poor David Alamil spends all that money. And still, Keisha Rogers is beating. Well, he hadn't spent any money yet. It's part yeah, of the, well, part the, of the issue thing. here. Alamil right? had not done much yeah, yet. I got and, you a know, flyer. I think there's a lot of guessing going on mm-hmm. here. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are just taking cues other than having information about the candidate. I mean, and it's very fraught. The crosstabs on this are very interesting. And, right. you know, I, I wouldn't draw too many conclusions. But if you look at whites only, it was Rogers 30, Alamil 24, Cher 23. If you look at blacks only, Rogers, 63, Alamil, 12. If you look at Hispanics, Alamil, 41, Rogers, 29. So, so there's who some, votes, right? You know, there are some, you know, there's some interesting things to think about here in terms of turnout and in terms of the cues people are taking when they look at a set of names and probably have very little information about them and are forced to make a choice. Well, and in a couple of these races, the Medina race, the lieutenant governor's race, the Senate race, you know, various factions within the parties are really worried about the result you could get. You know, start with the Democrats. The Democrats are, you know, as I said, the chairman of the party is campaigning against Keisha Rogers. Letitia Vandepute and a couple of others have been doing robocalls against Kinky Friedman and the uh, Ag Commission race. On the Republican side, you know, there are a fair number of Republicans who think that, you know, Medina may be the – if Medina is the winner of this race, that that's – um, the best thing that could happen to Mike Collier, who's the Democrat in, in the controller's race, and that if Dan Patrick is the winner, that some of the business support – this is you know conversation, but we're hearing it a lot – that some of the business support might come off of the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor and, and start looking at Letitia Vandepute. So the parties are starting to – you know, the smoke-filled room, I guess, happens in the open now to, to a large extent, and they're kind of looking at this and going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What does this make us look like in November? And we have not pulled – we didn't pull the Democratic primary for ag commissioner, did we? No. I mean in some of these uh, right. some of these no opinion numbers tell you why the, the farther right. you go down the ballot, people mm-hmm. just don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, I guess I would add to that. I mean, the you know, those Democratic numbers are really 
hair-raising if you're somebody who's talking about the health of the Democratic Party in the state. Right. I mean, you know, that's a U.S. Senate race. You know, 70, you know, three-quarters have no opinion and then start guessing and against this kind of, you know, not exactly, no offense intended, a list of candidates. Well, you've got got two candidates in the race who are way back in the pack who have run for Congress before, you know, in in Fiatland and in um, Alamille. So, yeah. But you did pull uh, Kinky Friedman, who's running for ag commissioner. You know, his pet issue and basically the cornerstone of his campaign is uh, the legalization of marijuana. We did pull on that. You know, maybe he doesn't need to win to get that across. Is that what we can take from the polls? Uh, you know, I have no comment on that. <laughs> only, um, only twenty three percent, isn't that yeah. right? Of, of Texans are against legalization of marijuana in any case. Twenty eight percent, off the top of my head, were medical. for it in medical only, and the rest um, were for it in you know for any purpose in various quantities. Right, either smaller. So yeah, so thirty two percent said they were they were okay with marijuana being legalized in small amounts for any purpose. And any purpose sounds weird. It makes a good punchline, but. You know, we have to do that because of the, we have to, like, separate right. it out from the medical marijuana position. And then, you know, but amusingly And then the 17%, enough, and you know who you are. <laughs> yes, you're out there if, you're, if you remember the, that you've started listening to the Tribcast. Um, 17% say, you know, any amount for any purpose, basically. One in, six, one in six registered voters in Texas. I really think that nobody, when they were thinking any purpose, thought listening to the Tribcast. I would hope. Well, you never know. That's true. Might be when you need it the most. <laughs> to, to quote the wise man, you never know. But, uh, is, you know, is sort of support for not having just completely legal marijuana, is that a surprise? Obviously, we've talked about how, you know, Perry got a lot of attention for saying he was in favor of the decriminalization of marijuana, even though that wasn't been. a new position, really. Yeah, Perry wasn't saying legalization. Perry was no. saying don't throw him in jail. Mm-hmm. He was saying, you know, you know, maybe this is a... You know, for, particularly for small amounts, this is a traffic ticket and not a not a jail term. Right. But I do think public opinion is shifting on this. I mean, you've probably obviously seen it. And so, you know, even when you have your state leaders comfortable talking about decriminalization on an international stage, that's a sign that there's a shift afoot. Well, and there, weren't there some cross tabs on this that, that said, you know, told you why the politicians are moving a little slowly? Yeah, I mean, if you look at if you look at that twenty three percent that are prohibitionists, that's still a lot of Republicans. Um, you know, a lot of suburban voters, certainly tons of rural voters. And one of the higher things, 32% of Abbott voters were in the not legal at all category. So, you know, it's, 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 the, it's that segment of the Texas population. And I haven't looked at this, but I'll, you know, we'll get to this. I mean, Josh and I are going to write about this in a couple weeks. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he threw her in front of a train. Yeah. Um. Now, now you have to meet your deadline, but go ahead. Um, you know, it's probably some of the people that some of the same people that are the holdouts um, on on gay marriage, right? I mean, it's social conservatives. They're rural. They're white. They're older. But you know, but it's not all white folks. And that was one of the other interesting things. If you look at the small amount and any amount of that forty nine percent, that's basically you know fifty. You know, within that group, fifty four percent of whites are in the, you know, roll it up. This is your <laughs> this is your libertarian vote, right? Right. Well, yeah. It, well, I, I think it's your liberty vote, right? I mean, these are just you know, this is that that element of Texas that's always in tension. Right. Part of it is regional, part of it is historical. I mean, there's this tension between the people that have traditionalist kind of rigid values in a certain sense 
most of which are religious in their in their origin, versus the people that are very individualist. Maybe you know, do what they they're want. conservative, but it's a very mm-hmm. strong individual liberty strain in the political culture here. Right. And so, what were the what were the other issues that sort of jumped out at you from the poll, Ross? You've been writing about it all week. They still hate the Affordable Care Act. That you know, that's um, but there's a really strong partisan break in there where the Democrats, Who's they? Texans, Texans. Uh, this is registered voters, and 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 you know they. Um, I think – I don't have the numbers in front of me. Something around a third of Texans um, still have favorable or very favorable views of it and they turn out to be almost all Democrats and the, and the people that are really most strongly against it. And keep in mind that the difference between now and October was the, the botched rollout of this plan. And But the Democrats are sticking with it to a, to a large extent and you know it will be interesting to see over time – whether and how quickly those numbers change. And the, the little thing I would add to that, Reeve, is that, you know, as Ross says, Democrats are sticking with it. Republicans are still against it. It's still a very partisan frame. But the intensity is all on the Republican mm-hmm. side. And that's where right. the, I think that's where the rollout hurt. Something right? like 51% were very, very unfavorable about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, if, we, if we could just put I'm furious on there, yeah. everybody <laughs> would choose that. Yeah. Pants on fire or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Well, is that, that must be good for... Ted Cruz, who's sort of the emblem of anti the chairman ACA, of the right? Yeah. Yeah, he's the head of the presidential race still, like, yeah. and by about the same margin. Yeah, a little bit less, but yeah, Cruz still still. If you look at the the GOP presidential heat for 2016, Cruz is still far and ahead, mm-hmm. far and away the winner. Yeah, the two the, guys the right behind him, Rick Perry. How far behind and, is Rick and Perry? And Rand Paul. Rand Paul. Yeah. At ten. Yep. Thank you. I blanked so it's on that. Twenty-seven ten. But uh, of course, the two Texans are on top. Of course, it's Texas. Well, yeah, except, you know, Perry, interestingly enough, we've, we've asked this question three times in the last year. And again, it's, you know, it's far away. It's really just, it's more a heat check than it is anything right. about it's what's going to happen in the primary. Unlike, uh, unlike Abbott and Davis, we're not assuming that any of these people wins a primary right. on the Correct. way to the presidency. Right. But, it does, but it does, you know, or it does show. <laughs> I mean, the, the interesting thing, I think, in terms of the subtlety of the GOP, of GOP politics <laughs> here is that Cruz in our last poll was far and away the leading Republican in the state. If you looked at his... Favorable, unfavorable. If you looked at this this polling number in the presidential heat, Abbott is now competitive. Abbott has moved up as more of a figurehead in the in the state party. Well, the other thing, you know, when this when this thing finally rolls around, Texas has moved up its primary, and we'll be earlier in the presidential primary race. In Texas, Republicans might actually be voting on the presidential primary nominee before that's been decided by other states. So, you know, this could this could come into play eventually. Any other highlights from the polls that you think are important to you – know, We asked about right? a bunch of education proposals that were um, you know, sort of interesting. You know, if you could do you – know, we did it two ways. One was a rating. I think there were seven proposals. One was a rating where you basically sort of rank them and say you know, this would be effective. This would be really effective. This would be ineffective, you know, like that. And then the second test was – of the seven, which one do you like best? And they, they came out a little bit differently. If you if you let people rate them and say, you know, when they're ranking all of them, the one that came up really high was a proposal to provide incentives for people who chose teaching as a profession. If you tell them to rank things, just which one of these is the most important, I think the top one was spending more money on schools. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we – not a not a huge amount of surprises in this, although I think right. what you do see is that if you focus on teachers, you can get some consensus. Once you get away from focusing on teachers, it gets it, all falls it, apart. it largely yeah. gets more divisive. Other than you know, 
should we do more online learning? Yeah, the teacher stuff was popular with both Republicans and Democrats. If, you said, spend, yeah. if you said spend more on schools, the Democrats were overwhelmingly yeah. for it. The Republicans were like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, and even the, teach, even the Wendy Davis proposal, the provide people better incentives to become teachers, polled very well, which right. I suspect they knew. The with people is, in both parties. Even though both sides agree that they should pay teachers more, you know, you didn't – the question that you don't ask there is, and how do you pay for it, which is right. where all the division is. Right, and would you pay tax on your marijuana in order to fund it? Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, I guess one other slight interesting thing I would flag before, oh, we, before it's you – Just a slight before interesting you thing. It's out, okay. Yeah. Uh, comprehensive immigration reform. We saw a little bit of movement on this. Right. Immigration has been – uh, you know, we've had an item saying, would you support comprehensive immigration reform or the path to citizenship for, you know, people that haven't committed crimes? And it's always been narrowly in the negative. It was 45-48, you know, approved, disapproved in June, in, in October, 49-51 back in June. This time we got 51-44 in favor. Right. And a lot of the movement does seem to be on the Republican side. So – you know, this could be a blip. I'm a little skeptical, honestly. I mean, it just could have been sometimes you get little spikes. Um, but it's something to watch because this has been, you know, a big conversation in the Republican Party in which, you know, elites and the base have been in a very different place. And if the base is even beginning a little bit to start following the leadership, it could really change the complexion of things. It's probably not going to change it before they vote on a lieutenant governor next Tuesday. Though. Well, it's certainly not. not. It's, not turning, it's not turning quickly enough, obviously, in, in races like that that, you know, but, you know, over the next over the next few months. Yeah, I mean, maybe. Republicans are still opposed 36-63, so it's not like, you know, we've seen this yeah, movement, but not yeah, or, right. you know, but it was 27-70 in, in October. So there's, there's something maybe going on there. It could be statistical noise. But it's something to really – I'm going to really – we'll really be watching this in the next couple of It's polls. a good band name, Statistical Noise. It might be a band name. Probably is. The uh, – I, I mean sort of like Ross mentioned, this is obviously our last podcast before the primaries. Uh, is there any way to tell from what we see in these polls if we're going to have – is it going to be like a 2010 very conservative wave or is it going to be sort of – well, the moderates went out overall. Will there be any sort of big takeaway in that way? I don't see I don't see a wave here. I mean, we may see a wave, you know, Tuesday night or Wednesday morning that we don't see in these numbers. But like Jim said a minute ago, it's hard to tell from race to race that the conservative candidate or the moderate candidate or the chamber of commerce candidate or the populist candidate that there's any consistency there. I think one of the things that you you can probably say looking at these numbers is Republican voters are sorting through seven top races with 34 candidates in there, and and they're largely confused about it. You know, in the top races, they know who the lieutenant governor candidates are. If if you get off to the side just a little bit, you know, down to the controller's race, half of them don't even know who. They don't have a don't have an opinion yet. And I, and I think I suspect that that's probably an even bigger effect when you get down to things like agriculture commissioner, railroad commissioner. Yeah, it, it looks to me like, you know, I think about wave as kind of a technical term. I don't see a wave election here. But I, what, what I'll be watching for and what I s- seem to see here, frankly, is – a settling in of these two contention, you know, these two contending themes inside the Republican Party that seem increasingly evenly matched numerically in terms of the moderates versus, right. you know, the kind of dedicated center-right moderates and the dedicated Tea Party people with some others kind of floating around in between. And what's really interesting to me is, like, on this, you know, the, that's why the, I think the immigration thing is interesting, is the reassertion of elite opinion by moderates and by some of the business groups, 
having an effect on voting behavior. And I, so I don't think we're going to see one side or the other. The question is how much evidence, how much impact are we going to see, and this will, some of this will be in state races, of the kind of counter-mobilization I think has been quietly but definitely going on out there among center-right moderates and the trade groups that, you know, have kind of had it with absolutely no new revenue. So on Wednesday morning, you look at the results and you say either this side or that side won, and if it was clear, and then you say if it was clear, is that just an accident or did the voters know what they were doing here? Yeah, my sense is going to be, you know, I mean, that's the thing about legislative races too. I mean, it takes us a while to sort out what the mixture of ideology and Austin-based fights are from, hey, somebody from this county was sick of the guy from the other county running the seat. And they attacked him because it was either too conservative. Oh yeah, that was just local, right? Enough. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of Wednesday morning, we should encourage anyone that's in Austin to come hang out with us at the Austin Club on the Wednesday after the primaries. At doors open at seven thirty. We'll be doing a live tripcast at eight a.m. This might be news to some of you. Can, Please, can I, also, <laughs> can I also plug that I'm having Ross Ramsey in a live stream the next day at three thirty? In a 3:30. live stream, that's, I didn't realize that was going to happen. You are not going to be able to get enough. This Ross is Ramsey. this is that stream where the Republicans are floating in and out of the elites and the whatevers. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Ross will just be live for two days straight. That's right. <laughs> All the way. <laughs> be max headroom. Right. It'll be great. Right. Single live Gonzo. Speaking of uh, folks, you should see live. We recommend Shiny Ribs, who does do our music, and we would like awesome. to thank we them for that. Guys. Uh, if you have questions or comments about where to go Wednesday morning to see us at the Austin Club, you can email tribcast at org. On behalf of Ross, Emily, Jim, and our producer John Jordan, who is filling in for our producer Todd. We don't know where he is, but John has stepped in. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Isn't that kind of um, dirty?